0: Get ready to be inspired as we dive into the incredible world of resiliency with a true leader and today's special guest, Tiana Best. We will uncover the power of bouncing back stronger. We will explore the vital traits and qualities that make leaders truly exceptional. It's that inner strength that helps us bounce back from adversity and keeps us moving forward no matter what life throws our way. Welcome to Conscious Leadership, the podcast where we delve into the heart of impactful leadership, one conscious step at a time. I'm your host, Dakota Lima, and together we'll explore the realms of self-awareness, empowerment, and purpose-driven leadership. Get ready to ignite your leadership potential and make a positive difference in your life and the life of those you lead. Resiliency isn't just about enduring difficulties. It's about thriving despite them. It's a trait that's essential for conscious leaders because it allows us to stay grounded, make sound decisions, and inspire our teams, even in challenging times. Throughout this episode, we'll explore the concept of resiliency, share personal stories of triumph over adversity, and discover how it can transform our leadership journey. But before we dive into our discussion with our incredible guest, Tiana Bess, let's set the stage by exploring the essence of resiliency. Resilience is often defined as the ability to withstand and recover from difficult situations. But for me, it's much more than that. It's the unwavering determination to rise stronger, wiser, and more determined after facing life's storms. It's the relentless pursuit of our goals and our dreams, no matter how many obstacles we encounter along the way. You see, conscious leaders understand that challenges are part of the journey. They don't view setbacks as failures, but as opportunities to learn and grow. They harness the power of resiliency to navigate uncertainty and lead their teams with grace and strength in a world filled with unpredictability. Resiliency is the compass that keeps us on course. It empowers us to embrace change, adapt to new circumstances, and thrive in the face of adversity. In the wake of the pandemic, the concept of resiliency in leadership has taken center stage. As leaders, we've witnessed unprecedented challenges, requiring us to adapt, innovate, and guide our teams through uncertainty. The ability to bounce back from setbacks, adapt to change, and lead with unwavering determination is now more crucial than ever. Before I understood the true significance of resiliency, I too had to navigate the treacherous waters of personal adversity. Toxic relationships had left me shattered, my self-esteem in tatters and my spirit broken. In these relationships, I endured the heart-wrenching pain of infidelity, manipulation, and emotional abuse. I was made to feel small and secure and constantly questioning my worth. One particularly challenging chapter of my life saw me married to a drug addict. I grappled with overwhelming feeling of failure, I believed I had let myself down, my family down, my children down, and then I had nowhere to turn. But deep within me, a spark of resilience smoldered. It was an ember of my inner strength, waiting to be fanned into flames. Eventually, I found the courage to break free from the destructive relationship. It was a journey fought with emotional turmoil, but it was also the genesis of my own transformation. I began the process of healing, addressing the scars that that toxic relationship had left behind. Also battling with depression, anxiety, and PTSD from my time in the service. But today I stand before you as a testament to the power of resilience. My experiences have become the foundation of my mission. I am on a passionate quest to help other women reclaim their lives, discover their unique purpose, and unleash the incredible superpowers that lie within them simply by virtue of being a woman. In this episode, we'll explore the theme of resiliency and leadership through the incredible journey of our guest, Tiana Best, who, like many of us, has faced her own trials and triumphs. Together, we'll uncover the profound impact that resilience can have not only on our personal lives, but also on our leadership journeys and the positive change we can create in the world. Join us as we dive into the heart of resiliency to uncover the strategies and insights and personal stories that can inspire and guide you on our path to becoming a conscious and resilient leader. Before I introduce our guests, I wanna have ask you, as we venture into this episode today, I encourage you to reflect on your own journey of resilience. What challenges have you overcome and how have they shaped you as a leader? How can you cultivate and harness your inner resilience to become a more conscious and impactful leader? We've entered my favorite segment of the show where I can bring on powerful women leaders, a segment I like to call act like a boss and lead like a woman. Now let's welcome our remarkable guest, Tiana Bess. Tiana is the owner and founder of the Flowers for the People Legal Service, an Air Force veteran, mother, writer, and soon to be financial advisor. She's not just a successful entrepreneur, but she's also a survivor who has triumphed over adversity. Tiana, thank you for joining us today. Your journey is truly inspiring, and I'm thrilled to have you on the show. You've overcome some significant challenges in your life, from surviving toxic relationships to pulling yourself out of homelessness. Can you share a bit about your journey and how resiliency has played a role in your transformation?
1: Good morning, Hinchke. Um, that's how we say hello in Muskogee. Um, thank you for having me. I've never been on a podcast before, so I'm extremely nervous. So, excuse me. Um and I'm not good at talking about myself. So, <laughs> uh, thank you for having me. Uh, I just want to throw this out there that I've known Dakota for hmm, what, like, it's like almost 20 years, 20, years. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> 20 something. So I've seen her over the course of time, bounced back from several things as well. So I'm really, um, really flattered to be here and humbled that you would have me here. So, um, if I start rambling, I'm going to try and stick to what you asked me. Um, so I I am a recent uh, graduate from uh, North Central University with my master's in law, and um, I, I founded the Flowers for the People. Uh, actually, the 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 name the Flowers for the People comes from. It's a group called Missing Flowers, and it's in regards to missing and murdered Indigenous people, men, women, and children. So the flowers is in reference to the people that are missing. So um, I founded that agency to make uh, legal services more um, accessible, mostly to single mothers or single parents, but um, to be a, a different kind of, uh, resource so that it's not financially draining and mm-hmm. helping educate my clients to where they, they can take some steps on their own without having to hire an attorney. So that, that's the whole reason behind my business. But, um, so, so I don't get off track. What do you, uh, um, what would you like me to talk about first?
0: Well, um, just like, explain to the listeners, like your journey and how you've been able to transform your life and the different things and stages that you've gone through, because, you know, um, you didn't start off always wanting to be uh, a Warrior. business owner or, you know, helping. And so there's something that would have happened to you that said, hey, you know what, this Like for me, like I know for me, when I decided to do my business, it was to empower women and it wasn't just to empower women just for the purpose of empowerment. It was, you know, I have had some traumatic events. I had some toxic relationships as well. And I've had some things that I've gone through, like coming, you know, getting over depression, anxiety and PTSD and all that. And I found a way to better my life because of it. And so for me, I just want to share that information that I have with other women so that they can, those who find themselves in that type of situation can also better their life. So I'm assuming, you know, like you said, the flowers is it's representative of the people. And so, you know, I know you're a huge advocate for MMIA, I'm sorry, MMIW. <laughs> and, you know, knowing that, um, you know. That the flowers, t- it's a it's a huge representation of that. And so I know you not only just help indigenous people, but just like you said, women who single parents and like yourself, you know, people who've had to struggle or who've gotten screwed over by the system. And that's why you decided to go to legal school and, and, and help and um be that representation for people who don't have it or give them that information and knowledge. Cause like, I know you also do writing and grant writing and like, you're trying to use the knowledge and the information that you have to help other people. Now, in order for you to get to that point, you've had to overcome some things. <laughs> and so, you know, with us talking about resiliency today, it's all about overcoming. It's all about overcoming adversity and just trying to find the steps to better yourself. So, if you could just share a little bit about some of the things that you've gone through that kind of had you feeling down and out and then what was it that you did to get yourself out of those situations to be where you are now?
1: Okay that gives me a little bit clearer path to go on so um yeah I was the lab tech for you know 17 years, uh, same as what Dakota did. Um, but when I got out of the military, I started doing advocacy work. I'm uh, uh, My mother is Indigenous. She's Muskogee, Salagi, and Shawnee. And then on my dad's side, um, he's Peruvian. So my heart was really with the Indigenous people when I came back to Oklahoma. But that is not what really like tripped me up. So I made a a journey to Canada, and I got involved in a relationship where I was going to marry this person, dated them for a year, and then I got trapped in a domestic violence situation where, uh, you know, I I gave up my life, my uh, job, I sold my house, I gave my animal, to give my animals to a different home, but I took my One daughter to go live with her father, and then the other one came with me. Um, And then, you know, this person that I thought was this wonderful, great person uh, ended up kind of trapping me, isolating me from the entire world, from my family, from my friends, from anyone in Canada. And um, he started to beat me. Um, If I did anything wrong, I couldn't even breathe incorrectly, and he would hit me. Um, I didn't stay long. Thankfully, because I am, uh, I was taught to leave those kinds of situations. Thankfully, watching other people go through them and get out of them, I kind of tricked him. I waited until he was going to go be with someone else, and then I packed up all my stuff and left in the middle of the night with my daughter. And um, the reason I left is uh, he actually, he told me he was going to kill us and he was going to bury us in the snow so that no one would find our bodies. Because, you know, in Canada, it's just vast snow for as far as the eye can see. And what really set the alarm bell off is when he included my daughter in that statement. You know, he was like, "Not." it was not just towards me. He was coming after her too. So I left... (laughs) And unfortunately, he had kind of like taken all of my money. I had uh, expended all of my resources. And to be honest with you, the people that helped me the most when I was coming, excuse me, when I was coming back were either my friends from the military or um, people on social media, on Instagram and Facebook that I have never met in real life, Wow! who um, the 4,000 mile journey back. (laughs) where we barely had any money for food and we did not ha- really have places to stay because I was low on funds. Uh, people would, uh, buy a hotel room for us for the night. One of my friends from the military even let us stay for about uh, a week. And she told us that we could stay there indefinitely if necessary. But anyway, we got back to Oklahoma and, uh, none of my family helped us. Um, thankfully I found this organization called, um, SSVF, and if any veterans are listening and you're ever in a situation like this situation, domestic violence, homelessness, the SSVF is in every state as far as I know, and it's the social services for veterans and families, and it is a veteran-owned service, Um, so it's not a government, it's not a government program. Well, what they did is, um, because before that, we were hotel hopping, you know, we did not have a permanent place to live after we, uh, got back to Oklahoma, um, thankfully this organization put us in a hotel. Like we were there for 11 months (laughs) up. We had been homeless, living in the car for about two weeks on the way back. But, uh, we got to Oklahoma and they put us in this hotel. Um, and I was working a gig job to try and save up money for, um, a new apartment or a home or whatever to try and find a place to live. Cause again, my family did not help me. None of my family gave me anywhere to stay. Nothing. Um, and actually to compile the trauma while I was gig driving, one of my passengers physically assaulted me while I was driving. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I laugh cause it's like discomfort, but it's like, yeah, he is assaulted me on the highway and, um, you know, after that I was like pretty traumatized, so I stopped gig working. But anyway, um, we were very lucky to find the apartment uh that I live in now and that SSVF, they helped us with the deposit and got us into this apartment. And that's kind of where I started rebuilding. Um, I was I had started graduate school in the middle of this domestic violence situation, and my school was uh North Central University was they were really helpful and they were like letting me put my classes on hold while I was getting my situation figured out. But um, I was going to school and working at the same time. Um, you know, my abuser tried to reach back out to me and get me to come back to Canada. That is something that as a trauma survivor, like I'm not going to lie. I was still tied to him emotionally in a trauma bond. So did I consider it at the time? Yes. Cause I was still very emotionally, Weak. But over time, uh, you know, getting back and getting situated and getting restabilized, I started to realize like, you know, I'm not going to go back into a situation like this. I'm not going to let someone uh, take, take that away from me. And, you know, the final straw with him was he told me that it was my fault that he had beat me. And that is when I cut the cord completely. And when I just kind of like refocused on, on my goal, which was to get through graduate school and to take care of my daughter, I have a young daughter who has brain cancer and, uh, several other medical problems. So she needs me at her disposal at all times. So, um, yeah, that's, that's how I got back here. Um, and when I, the, the, I was in graduate school for three years. It was kind of like extended because of when CeeLo would get sick, I would have to put a class on hold and like restart the class, you know? Um, So it did take me a little bit longer to get through graduate school. But once I got out of graduate school, um, that's when I decided, you know, I'm going to start a paralegal business um, at least until I get into law school. Um, And, I opened up the flowers for the people last October when I graduated. Um, and I've just kind of been trying to build my uh, repertoire of skills by like, you know, getting my financial planning license, getting my insurance, life insurance license. Um, I write grants, you know, um, any kind of skill that I can get under my belt to make things, uh, more accessible, to the general public. Cause that's honestly, that's, that's the whole point of this business. A lot of attorneys will, you know, gouge you with costs and I'm not, I'm not knocking attorneys, but a lot of us don't have, you know, $5,000 for a retainer. Yeah. And my goal as a, as a single mother and as a woman, and not only just as a woman, as an indigenous woman is to educate women and anybody else who wants to learn that you don't necessarily have to come out of pocket with all this money to defend yourself in the system that is pretty much built against women. It's built against women. It's built against indigenous women, black women, Latino. It's it's built against anybody who is not rich. I don't want to put too many terms on it, but you know what? The system yes. is not here. The system is not built for people who are, up and coming. It's not built for people who are, um, who weren't born with a silver spoon in our mouths. You know, it's, it's built to cater to a certain demographic and women don't fit in that demographic. So um, I'm looking at the questions that you gave me and I want to talk about this, this one right here about a specific moment where I had to tap into my resilience. So I will say that I had to look back on several occasions where I have, like, people in my life, I've looked back at their journeys and what they've bounced back from and how they've overcome their uh, issues and their situations. Um, I have a really good friend here. Her name is Delisa Jones, and she owns a thrift shop. It is a secondhand thrift shop, but uh, she was in prison for, um, drug, drug trafficking or something for like a very long time. And when she came out, you know, she had flipped her life around and now she's a advocate for homeless people in the, um, in the whole entire city. And she is like a beacon of light. And when I met her, you know, it was at the very beginning of all this, this situation I was going through. And I kind of, uh, leaned on her for, advice a, a lot and saw how like going from the drastic circumstances she was in and now she is leading a life of peace and she's helping people and to me like money is money is a tool and money is no object really it's it's about people because without people and without teams and without groups of people with common vision there's nothing you know you're just you're just floating around. Whereas like if, if we can make things more accessible to people like, you know, educating single mothers, like how to navigate a system that is built to, to work against us, Mm -hmm. um, then I can make a change. And truly I have tapped into the memory of so many people that I've known. I mean, you could have even been in there too. I don't know. I've reflected on a lot of things over the years I don't know, um, even even people, little bits of advice that they've given me over the years. You know, one of the best pieces of advice that I ever got was from a 75-year-old Army veteran that I worked with in a parasit- parasitology lab, you know? <laughs> um, stuff that just, looking back on the people that have inspired me and who have just, like, overcome so much adversity, like, I could have just sat down and gave up, you know? And, and I will say the, the one driving force that overtook everything was my kids. Like knowing I have to take care of them. No one else is going to do it. I have to provide for them. I have to make sure they have a safe place to live and food and clothes on their back. Like that's not an option. Like I will never make that an option.
0: Yeah, that tends to be the driving force for mothers a lot of the times, you know, and I know one of the things that us mothers can also do is, you know, we put, well, I think as women, we kind of tend to do this anyway, you know, you kind of put yourself to the back burner and what your needs are and you're always give, 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 right? (laughs) Um, But I agree with you. Like, I know when I was trying to overcome a lot of the things that I went through, you know, because. Um, I was in a, a few toxic relationships, you know, one just more verbal abuse than anything else, but verbal abuse is, is still traumatic because it affects you emotionally. It affects you mentally, you know, which we all know now that our emotions and our mental being is, is a huge factor in what it is in, in how you attack life. You know what I mean? Like if you feel down and out about yourself or insecure or, in, you know, like, not confident then you're not going to really want to put yourself out there or take the steps to do anything and so um and then you know my second relationship was he was an addict and um you know I was, I just kind of like felt like a failure. Like I went from one relationship to another and I was trying to do the same thing, like deal with all these things for my kids. And it was always about what do they need? What do they need? What do they need? And, or what did the military need? It was never, what did I need? You know, like, I felt like I never looked at what I needed until after I got out of the military. And then I was like, that's a whole nother aspect of just the transition of getting out of the military and what you go through coming into the civilian world and trying to um, put your skills that you learn into action in the civilian world and how some people can recognize but not everyone does or you know you're so used to having all of these this is what you need to do this is what's expected of you and you kind of already have like a um, a plan of action of where you need to go. So when it's up to you to decide, then it's like, oh, well, I've always been told what to do. So now what do I do? So you kind of have to figure out what it is you want to do. Right. And then kind of go from there. But if you're not feeling confident, then you don't even feel like what you want to do is achievable, you know? And so I know for me, I did, I, I looked at other women that I felt like, um, were powerful and like motivating and like were getting through different types of adversity and like still pushing through. And then one of the biggest things for me that I learned was to take care of myself because once I started um, self-care and realizing the things that I needed and started to take care of the things that I needed, I felt like all of a sudden things started to turn around for me. Like I started to be more confident. I started to have more energy. I started to want to do more things and want to learn more want to grow more and then that was just kind of like a snowball effect for me to reversing the state of anxiety and depression and all of that to feeling better and being better pretty much and um that's a huge factor for me in my uh resiliency and my journey and um yeah like taking from other people and leaning on other people and just understanding that you can you know, I, I know I talked to you a little bit about the the Mission Continues, the group, the veterans group that I joined. Um, and so I'm part of this women's leader, women veteran leadership program. And in our group, there's like over 70 women, all veterans from all of the branches and, you know, different amounts of service. Some retired, some were medical boarded, some only did two years, some did five, some did 10, 15, you know, it was a, a slew of different experiences some had great experiences in the military some had horrible <laughs> experiences in the military you know and all of that in between and um same thing getting out there was quite a few that have been homeless and got over that some that are facing it now like so there's a lot of different things that we go through as women and as women veterans and um one of the things i feel like just in general in our, in society, we've gotten away from community. We've gotten away from growing together, from helping each other out. And, the, you know, this sense of you have to do everything by yourself, you know, <laughs> like, and you have to do at it, do it alone. And if you don't do it by yourself or you don't do it alone, then you're not strong. Yeah, yeah exactly. Then you're just weak. And then it, that plays in your head, you know, like, oh, well she did it. Why is it so hard for me to do, you know, and then you kind of question yourself and, um, there's no need for that. And so like, I feel like with you advocating for, for indigenous people, like it, it's very important. It's very, and, and, and just like all minority people in general, we're just women, because we are a minority as women, you know, and, um, Like I like to call myself a women's leadership advocate because I feel as women, we have an inner strength and an inner power, especially when we come together that is unmatched and like anything else. And um, resilience is a part of, it's a huge part of of leadership because you have to be able to overcome different challenges that are going to be thrown your way. And who better than women come over different challenges? I mean, if you just look at, things that have happened to women over the years and where we are today compared to where we were 50 years ago you know 100 years ago and and what's to like the sky's the limit of what's to come um what advice would you give aspiring leaders that are facing setbacks facing adversity adversary and uh on their journey and on their path like what things would you like to give to people
1: you know um I don't know if you ever met a, a chief Simmers, but he was a lab, a lab guy. And one of the best pieces of advice that he ever gave me was, um, it's okay to fail. It's okay to fail.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Your failures are not like a definition of who you are. And I saw something the other day. It said, um, lots of people make Fun of you because you have to keep starting over, but I'm clapping for you because you haven't given up. And (laughs) right, like sometimes it takes people time over and over and over again before they ever find where they're supposed to be. Um, I read an article once about how people like, um, I don't know if you know who Alan Rickman was, but he was a famous actor. He's deceased now. Uh, He was in the Harry Potter movies, but he did much more than the Harry Potter movies, but he didn't start acting until he was in his 40s. You know, he had a late start in life. Lots of people, inventors, uh, you know, scientists, uh, people who've discovered things, uh, women leaders, uh, lots of people who who have gone through so much to be, to be honest with you, I would rather follow someone that has been through the muck Mm -hmm. than someone who's had it all laid out for them. I'm not saying that people who have, have had it all laid out for them are necessarily bad leaders, but I'd say that someone who has gone through hell and come out of it on the other side, there's a really, a really profound, uh, a really profound, uh, uh, what is the word I'm trying to think like there is just something about those people that you saw them at in in their in their pain Worse. and their sorrow and their bad places. And when they come out on the other side, they're fierce and they are like resilient. Like the Phoenix is such a uh, important uh, emblem of rebirth. Like I feel like I love seeing people come out of the fire. I love it. So when Chief Summers told us failure doesn't mean you're a bad leader. It doesn't mean anything. All it means is that you know what not to do next time mm-hmm. and you learn. So I'd say, you know, like the first time I ever had a client with my business, she was not happy with me, with the work that I gave her. And I was like, okay, I'm sorry. I said, but could you please tell me what I can do better next time? So that way, when I have a client that comes to me with this situation, that I can be better for that person. And you know what, instead of scolding me and putting me down, she did. She like, she was like, look, these are the things that I would wish she would have done. And, you know, like, thanks for the effort that you put in. But this is what, you know, this is what I expected. And I didn't take it as um, an insult or anything mm-hmm. like that. I was like, thank you for taking the time to talk to me and help me become a better, excuse me, a better advocate for my clients and my customers, because that's who I'm here for. I'm not here uh, to, I'm not here to, um, for clout and stuff like that. The only reason I exist is because of the people who believe in me. So I'd say that is like, there are so many people out there who are like, like, they're perfectionists and they expect something perfect on the first try. And it's like, that's, that's not oh, realistic. Actually, I have a, a great example. And I used this the other day. There is a violinist named Yo-Yo Ma and he is probably one of the most famous and best violinists or cello. Uh, sorry, cello. He plays a, it's a, cello.
0: a big one. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And he said they were interviewing him, them, uh, him and he's like, really old he's like in his 60s or 70s and he's been playing since he was like tiny and they said what is uh you know what is the best advice you can give someone he said every day put in the work for something that you love and believe in if it's your passion put in the work every day because you are never going to stop learning he said yeah i'm a really good musician but i can always be better And they're like, wow, you know, you've been doing it for so long. You're considered one of the masters. And he was like, but I can always learn more. So I'd say acknowledging that failure is not a setback. It's something to learn from. And also that no matter what you're doing, you've never reached the end point necessarily. There's always something that you can grow and learn from. And And, improve. Yes. And like... I, I think that's one of the greatest things about being a human being is if you look at the world around us, scientists are still discovering new animals, new plants, new flowers, new this, new that. And it's because we're never done growing as human beings. So that, that's the biggest, the biggest thing that has, has come to me. Like anytime I would have like a setback or a failure, I'm like, God, you know, like, what am I doing wrong? Um, and then remembering that it's it's just a lesson for me to, like, do better next time or do something completely different next time or to listen to the constructive criticism of people around me and not take it as an attack,
0: but as a way to improve, you know? Yeah. No, I, I 100% agree. Like, I heard someone say before, you know, if you're not growing, you're dying. and And, you know, it's like... <laughs> And and it's really, it's like, are you being stagnant? And one of the things that happens, you know, like when you do, when you are battling times when you feel down, sometimes you feel stagnant, you feel stuck, you know what I mean? And, And it's hard to get the motivation to get out of that, you know? But if you keep that in mind, like you said, what am I doing today that's, um, trying to work towards something that I want to achieve. You know what I mean? Um, I guess the first step would be to kind of get clear on that, on what it is that you want. Because I know for me, that was the first thing I had to do. When I got on the military, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to be a business owner. But what type of business? I had no idea, you know, like because I knew nothing about business. You know, again, I'm in the military. I joined the military at age 20. I went to high school. I graduated high school. I went to college for two years and then I went right into the military. You know, and My life, I got pregnant early, you know, my son's 18 now, about to be 19 this year. So like, I, I've been a mother for as long as I can remember, like half my life. And, um, and so, you know, like, it was always about, it was always about that, you know, the military and my kids. So when I got out and it's like, what do you want to do now? Like, I knew I wanted to do something. I knew I wanted to make an impact. You know, I'm an avid learner. I've been to school so many times. I went to nursing school. I went to school for human resource management. And now I'm in school for media communications, you know? So it's kind of like, <laughs> figure out what the hell you want to do, right? But <laughs> but that's just it, you know? It is. It's it's about having those experiences. It's about trying something. And, okay, you failed at that, but that's probably because it wasn't meant for you, right? Um, and you have to determine, like, as you're going through it, is this something that is in alignment with me? Is it something that I enjoy doing? Am I getting joy from this? Am I finding bliss and happiness? And if you're not, then it's probably not for you. Then it's like, okay, well, let's try something else, you know, and not being afraid to to do that, you know, like... I, I couldn't tell you, like, I'm sure my family thinks I'm crazy because they're like, <laughs> why won't you just go get a regular job? Why won't you just go do this? You know, why won't you just go do that? And it's because I don't want to, you know, <laughs> like I just because I determined I decided in the when I decided to leave the military was I want to have a bigger impact. Not that the military doesn't I, I believe the military has a huge impact on our world of course, you know like people are are sacrificing their lives for for our freedom. But I personally wanted to have a a bigger impact. I wanted to see and not just when we go volunteer and go do habitat for humanity or go do a food, you know like because of course all the volunteer work that we did in the military was great too and I love volunteering, but I wanted to leave like a legacy behind in that, like when I look back on what I did with my life, who are the lives that I helped? What people did I help? What people did I help get better, you know? And besides just my children, you know what I mean? Like who did I affect in a positive way? And I always knew I wanted to have some type of impact and I just didn't know what. I never, I didn't know what at the time. And so trying to figure that out did cause a lot of ups and downs, did cause a lot of like failures. You know what I mean? Like I I did like a consulting business, but it just wasn't in alignment with me. Like it wasn't what I wanted to teach because though it had something to do with leadership, now I know it's more geared towards women. You know what I mean? But I didn't know that before. I didn't understand that before, you know? So I was like all over the place. You know, <laughs> And I was just trying to figure things out. And so that's a huge... Piece of advice is don't be afraid to fail. Don't be afraid to try new things. Don't be afraid to put yourself out there because once you do find that spark and that something that kind of gives you that motivation, it's going to help keep you going. It's going to help dig you out of a hole. It's going to help get you moving in the right direction. And then, yes, do a little bit of something every day. And it doesn't have to be your whole day, it could just be wake up an extra 30 minutes, read a book join a course, sign up for a seminar, you know, like take a trip or join a group in your local neighborhood. That's doing things similar. You know what I mean? That to the things that you like to do, no matter what it is, whether it's painting, singing, exercising, you know, like Taekwondo, whatever, you know, (laughs) anything, um, just tap into it. And like, I I'm a firm, huge believers that everybody has a purpose and everybody has something that they're a gift that they're meant to share and everybody's gifts are different. And when I say gift, that doesn't necessarily mean it has to be talent as if like you're a singer, you know what I mean? Right. No, everybody's gifts are different. Um, you know, your gift, like some people's gifts could just be the way that they listen and communicate with people, the way that people are able to be drawn to them and like open up their hearts. You know what I'm saying? So like those people are are going to probably be good, like counselors, like they give good advice, you know, that could be your gift. It doesn't have to be a lot of times people think when you say gifts, it's like, Oh, well, I don't have any talents. Well, it doesn't have to be talents like that, you know? So hone in on the things that make you uniquely, you make you special and kind of run with that. Um, can you share, I have a couple more questions for you. (laughs) Can you share like a specific moment on your journey? I think I already asked you this one. Um, yes, I did. So how do you actually, you pulled up that one. That's what it was. You you, you threw me off. (laughs) You were like, oh, I want to talk about this question. (laughs) So yeah. So, um, in your experience though, how do you believe that leaders can strike a balance between resiliency are being resilient and also fostering it within the cultures of their teams and their organizations. Like what would you feel is a good way to, to add that into your, your teams?
1: When I worked at the what, the first job I had getting out of the military, I worked at the Oklahoma heart hospital as the patient access manager. And I had a team of like 35 people. The biggest thing And I would always ask them what they needed from me. That that was my biggest thing. Uh, There's uh, different kinds of leaders. And my boss at the time, her name is Charlotte James. She was what I would call a servant leader. And she was the most wonderful person I worked for. I loved her so much. Still friends with her. Um, But one of the things that uh, I noticed is when I would go and talk to my people like I would take at least 10 minutes every day to go to each one of my sections and just sit there and talk to them like they're not numbers they're not just like a last name and Mm -hmm. I think in the military we get lost in that like the military you're like go see sergeant such and such for this go see sergeant such and such for this airman such and such for this lieutenant whatever and yeah, there is a lot of camaraderie and stuff, but there's still like really strong lines where you have to adhere to. You, like, can't you can't joke with people? You can't, you know what I mean? Like, there's there's <laughs> like there's those lines there. And one of the things that I really loved about the people that I worked, I always said I worked for them, mm-hmm. um, is that. I wanted them to know that I cared about them. Like, I think one of the biggest things, one of the biggest problems I saw in the military, especially when I had leaders, is it was the leaders who would sit in their office all day and they wouldn't talk to you. And all they would do was send emails. The ones who would actually come out and engage with you and actually, like, had, you know, they had your back. Yeah. um, I mean, you could attest to Sergeant Poppy, Rick Poppy. He was one of those. He's, you know, he was the type of leader that I really respected because he was like, I got your back. Mm -hmm. I'm going to listen to your side of the story. Even if I disagree with you, I'm still going to be here next to you, you know, like, and so I had a a couple of leaders like that show me that that was the most important thing that people valued is that they're seen like in these huge corporations. Yeah, I get it that it's hard to do that. And in a digital world where a lot of people do work from home including myself I think stuff like this is important where you're doing face-to-face or zoom calls where you can see people's faces and even just touching base with people like you're not just a number to me you're just you're important your needs and stuff are important and one of the things I also used to do was um at, at the end of every month, I'd have a meeting, a, uh, a meeting with the the people, just for like an hour or two. Um, they got to pick the day, whatever was easiest for them. I made I I would always have it catered, bring bring them foods, and they could wear whatever they wanted, sweats, whatever. They were relaxed and calm, and like they could feel okay in this mm-hmm. atmosphere. I think just knowing that if you're if if I was to, <laughs> I think a lot of leaders lose their people when they forget that these are real human beings exactly. that have lives mm-hmm. that have goals that have ambitions outside of this company that have family members they care about that have things they got to deal with that they don't bring with them to to work and stuff and just making sure those people know that you actually care about them that was the most important thing to me and from the feedback that they would give me that's the most important thing they said you know the fact that you spend time with us and talk to us and make us feel like we matter and we know that we can come to you and talk to you and be real with you even if we disagree with you and you're not gonna like retaliate against us and stuff that was the most important was that human connection Mm -hmm. and i think In today's technology, we are losing touch with that. And that's something that you have to remember to include. Otherwise, people are just going to be automaton droids doing stuff for you and end up resenting you because they don't want to be there. And you don't want workers that don't want to be there. No. You want those (laughs) that you care, you know. Um, I I think apathy is huge, huge. huge in a lot of places like this I'm gonna do me and screw you you know like I yeah. get it. we'll get your bag and stuff but don't forget that there's people who need your support and people who will support you and and I'm not saying hold hands and sing kubaya but I'm saying like you have to recognize that each individual there is not just a, a body that's a human being no.
0: Whether you 100% like or not. You 100%. Know? I 100% agree with you. You know, servant leadership is such a, it's not something that a lot of people practice, but I feel like people need to practice it more, especially after COVID-19 and the pandemic and, you know, the amount of changes that happened in the world and just like the upheaval that people had to go through. But just being a leader in general, like a leader can literally make or break a company, an organization, you know, it can make or break a, a, a section in the military, it can make or break anything. And people, like you said, people just want to feel valued. They want to feel seen, they want to be heard. And if you as a leader take the time to go actually get to know your people, You know, like just like you, it doesn't have to be uh, like a a whole drawn out thing. But yes, taking the time to go walk around saying hi, asking how they're doing, finding out about, like you said, those in their goals, the personal things that they want to achieve, because sometimes those goals can even be in alignment with the company. You know what I'm saying? And then that's when you can take the opportunity to mentor people, to bring them up, to give them those opportunities to flex their skills and their gifts. And you never know, it could it could end up growing into something that could help expand the, the business and the company that you have. Um, and when you really think about it that way, like, Why wouldn't you want to grow the people you already have already invested in, already have in your system to get them to want to do more? Because when people enjoy coming to work, when they feel like they're valued, when they feel like they're seen, they actually work harder. They're more productive because they don't feel stressed and burnt out at work and like hating this place, like you said, resenting it to the point where they're just like, oh, I'm just come in, do the bare minimum, take longer breaks, take longer lunches, all this other stuff, you know, they're going to do what it is they need to do to get by. But why do you want people to just do what they need to do to get by? You know, you want people who are going to say, you know what, let me give that little bit extra. Let me put this little bit more in because if they feel like you got their back, they're going to 100% have your back. Like I 100% agree with that. And, um, team building is huge. You know what I mean? Understand, Like you said, team building, understanding um, what people are going through, because like I said, we just went through a huge pandemic. So some people lost their jobs. People are more in alignment with themselves now because they've had time. They've had time to sit and think and reflect, like, especially for those people who were working for companies for 20, 30 years and got let go. You know, they're thinking they're gonna have this pension and retirement and now they're having to start over. So a lot of people, even if they found other jobs now that things are back up and moving, or some people decided to create their own businesses. You know, everybody did different things, but for those who did go back to the workforce, you know, they're looking at work differently now. They're not gonna be as just going through life with blinders on. They want to have more alignment. They want to have more value. They want to have all of those things. And so, you know, if your leadership doesn't know how to cultivate that in the team, you know, you're going to end up having resentful workers that are going to be less productive, which at the end of the day is going to hurt your bottom line. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like versus people who actually enjoy going to work and wanting to do things at work. So, yeah, I 100% agree with everything you said there. It's it's a uh, it's a uh, servant leadership is very important. You know, um, for helping with resiliency, for helping just to be more self aware. You know, dealing with people's emotions. And as a leader, you do, you have to navigate different emotional states. And resiliency is important. You know, a couple of weeks back on an episode, we talked about emotional intelligence and um, how important, like, emotional intelligence is so important for just any type of success in the world. Um, how your emotions affect other people, or how you will let other people's emotions affect you, you know, in, in that type of environment and dynamic. And, Resiliency kind of falls into this because, you know, having to overcome things that are going to put you in an emotional state, possibly trigger you or if whatever it is, you have to be able to learn how to take a step back, reset yourself, ground yourself, and then attack the situation and kind of go into um, being able to put people where they need to put. Um, I talked about before uh, my deployment when i was in belad and um you know we used to have a lot of mass casualties there but i mean the i talked about the first one but by the time i left i think there was like five or six of them and it was so crazy um we were having them like almost every month and lots of people you know the the smallest one i think was like 30 40 people that came into the er and the our er was not big i think we had five. Oh, six I was beds. there Yeah. Okay. So, you know, yeah, we had like five, six, <clears throat> six beds. And so, you know, when you have a mass casualty of over 70 people coming in, like we had people all over the place. And, um, you know, I mean, I, I had some crazy experiences while I was there working at the hospital. You know, I remember one time being handed a boot with a foot still in it. Oh. And, you know, like in <clears throat> a biohazard bag, because it was an EOD soldier who had the it detonated. And so that was like his remains. And it's just like some of the things that, that we saw, you know, I will say though, we had some great leadership in the the group that I was in. Um, Lieutenant Colonel Fox was my commander when I went for the lab, but we had a commander of the hospital who, um, I can't remember his name, but I can still see his face. He was full colonel. And Um, I talked about this before, just how like calm he was like every time we had a mass casualty, when I tell you it was like crazy, you know, how, when we're in the medical training, when they're training us and they make you watch that little part of Pearl Harbor, that movie Mm -hmm. to try to talk to you about triaging, Mm -hmm. you know, to teach you about how to triage stuff. Um, it was literally like that, you know, like in that part, like the bombs are coming and everything's still blowing up. So people are like screaming and they're just like, oh, help me, help me, help me. And that's literally how it is. It was like, people were screaming. There's a lot, and it's just crazy chaos, but he was so calm and he was just like, okay, you there, you there, you know, like just boom, 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 boom. And it was by, because he was able to be that way. And he was also like that, but with, with it throughout the whole time, but he was able to be that way in that time of crazy. It allowed everyone else to be, um, be calm and and focus and just like do their job. You know what I mean? And execute the way we needed to execute kind of like do the training. Like you've been trained for this. Like, let's go. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, it's real time. It's real life now. And, um, and so it's just like a Testament to understanding your place as a leader and when you understand your people and you can navigate difficulties like that and and you know be able to bounce back and help other people bounce back it's it's huge you know um it's just it's definitely a huge thing so but yes 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 i know we've been we've been talking for for some time and I mean you could talk for hours and hours <laughs> and hours but <laughs> Um, But I do want to say that you've had an incredible journey. And I know like you had mentioned, for those of you listening, so she, her, her company, the flowers for the people's legal service. So she helps individuals who don't have the financial means to just throw out $5,000 with legal services, you know? So if you're in need of some legal services, she also does grant writing for those of you wanting to start small business or nonprofits, you know, think about that. Um, She's getting her insurance license, her financial, and she's going to be a financial advisor. So she's going to be able to give that advice for those who truly need it, helping the people, all of you flowers out there. (laughs) And so um, can you just uh, let people know what is the best way for people to get in touch with you? Anyone who would like to get in touch with you? uh, What means would, would they do to do that?
1: So um I'm still in the middle of working on my website, but uh, you can email me at the flowers for the people at just how it sounds, all lowercase. Um, I also have a Facebook page. Um, you can send me a direct message there. Um, I have an Instagram page. I was locked out for like a month, but now I finally got access. <laughs> um, I if you if you want to send me a DM there. Um, I I do it by 30-minute appointment blocks, and I will work with you on the time, um, and we can sit down and talk about what your needs are and see if I actually can help you. Um, I've helped quite a few people, but uh, yeah, my goal is to just make, make it more financially reachable to people who are in a crisis or maybe feel like they don't have uh, a way out of their situation. So yeah, Instagram, I'm contemplating a Twitter. I will never be on TikTok, unfortunately. Um, (laughs) um, I just can't do it. Uh, But Facebook is probably the best place to reach me, Facebook and Instagram. Um, When I get my website up and running, I will uh, have that on my Facebook. But it's really just, if you can remember the flowers for the people at gmail.com, that's my direct uh, email link. And I check the email every single day. Um, and if you are in need, I can put you on the calendar. Um, but I, I mean, like I'm, I'm trying to keep it simple. Um, I will say that a lot of people, um, in my age group, uh, the ones that I'm helping, I have helped younger clients too, but the ones I'm helping, they mostly use those two platforms. So I've been pretty successful with clients, uh, on those two platforms. Um, but it's definitely, uh, Facebook is the easiest. So I know it's a long name. <laughs>
0: no, it's great. It's I love it.
1: The flowers for the people. If you can just remember it, uh, mm. it's pretty straightforward and I'll try and get back to you as soon as I can. Um, I try not to overwhelm myself with clients, but, uh, I do respond directly. It is me. Cause I am a one man shop right now. Um, it is me responding directly to the DMs in both, on both my Facebook and my
0: Instagram page. Awesome. That's amazing. So I want to thank you for um, being a guest on my podcast. I truly appreciate you giving me your time bestowing all your wisdom on our listeners <laughs> and, and really putting yourself out there because what you're doing is huge. You know, like I was saying, like, I always wanted to make an impact and you are making an impact. You, um. Oh, one quick thing that kind of like popped in my head. I was laughing when you were, when you were talking about your, you being uh, banned from Instagram. For those of you who don't know, remember I told you Tiana is a huge advocate. Okay. <laughs> and when mm-hmm. you advocate for people, you don't put up with the BS. And so she, the reason why she got banned is because she speaks up and she is the voice for people who don't have a voice. And so she's putting herself out there and she is truly an inspiration because she, she says it how it is. She, she speaks from her heart and <laughs> tells the truth. And then sometimes the algorithms don't like the truth. That's <laughs> So that's why if you ever come across her and you're you're like, oh, how did she get blocked again? It's because of that. It's because she is like pointing out things that are wrong and saying, hey, this needs to be fixed and this this shouldn't be happening. And for those of you who advocate for anybody, you'll know exactly how that is. Anytime you're stepping out and doing something that's not the norm and not fitting into the, the, the peg that they're trying to fit us in, then, you know, it goes against the grain and sometimes you may get blocked for temporarily amounts of time. And so <laughs> that is the reason for her being blocked is because, like I said, she is that voice for those who don't have a voice. And I truly appreciate all that you've done and the things that you are still going to do. <laughs> It's it's really a testament to your resiliency, your leadership, and just you as a strong woman. And you should just be proud of yourself.
1: <laughs> I'm not good at that kind of compliment, but thank you very much. I'm really <laughs> very humbled that you had me on here. Um, I am also going to be starting a podcast. I'm shooting for November And what I'm going to talk about on it is mostly the MMIW crisis, the missing and murdered Indigenous women crisis. By having family uh, members of the of the lost or murdered come onto the show to share their loved one's stories, um, and also as a platform for women empowerment, just like women who are escaping domestic violence who are who are escaping abusive relationships and how they bounced back so but mostly uh indigenous issues so I have been wanting to do this for a while but I really after being on your show I now see all the prep that comes with it and I know I got to get my life together (laughs) So, so I don't get overwhelmed and if you know, like, this is actually a good learning experience for me to see how you have it set up. So that way, when I go forward, um, I, can, I can use some of your the way that I see how you did it as a, as a guideline. So thank you for that. Thank you for having me on here and allowing me to speak. I don't get to share my story a lot uh, in a elongated sense. Like, I don't get to share the, the details of it. So mm-hmm. thank you very much for giving me this space. And I'm really proud of you for what you're doing. And I think that since I've known you for like this long and I've seen you <laughs> go through different things, I think that you are on your way up. And I think that it's really important that we, I don't believe in, in competition against other women. I believe that we are going to be better together no matter. 100%. 100%. <laughs>
0: whatever
1: that lady over there is do doing and sparkling and shining and being magnificent. Just because you are in a different niche doesn't mean you can't do the same in your own niche. We're not comp- – We're not. wait, what did I – I love memes, but I saw a meme that it said, I'm not competing ag- against you. I want you to win too. Yes. I want you to win too. I want all women to win because systemically and historically women haven't won. We have always had to push back especially women falling into marginalized and minority categories like those women winning is extremely important, but I'm really proud of you. So thank, thank you for you. having <laughs>
0: <laughs> I would love to thank you one more time, Tiana, for just coming onto my show. I truly appreciate your time. And as we conclude this episode, I'll remind you, I'm reminded of the remarkable journey of resilience, a journey that spans personal battles and the global challenges we collectively face. It's clear that resiliency isn't just a desirable trait for leaders, it's an imperative one. Through my own trials, I've discovered that resiliency isn't about being impervious to hardship, it's about having the courage to face adversity head on, to rise stronger from the ashes, and to carry those lessons forward. It's about understanding that within each of us lies the power to overcome, to heal, and to lead with unwavering determination. Tiana Bess, our extraordinary guest, embodies the essence of resiliency. Her journey from surviving a toxic relationship to thriving as a successful entrepreneur and advocating for MMIW is a testament to the indomitable human spirit. We've had the privilege of hearing her story and gleaning insights that can illuminate our own paths to conscious leadership. As you go forth from this episode, I encourage you to reflect on your own journey of resiliency. What challenges have you faced? How have they shaped you as a leader? What lessons can you carry forward to inspire, guide, and uplift those you lead? Remember, resilience is not a solitary endeavor. It's a collective strength That we as conscious leaders can nurture within our teams and organizations by fostering a culture of resiliency, we empower others to overcome, adapt, and thrive. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Conscious Leadership and for joining us on this exploration of resiliency and leadership. Continue to lead with resilience, lead with your heart, and lead consciously. I hope today's insights have ignited your passion for empowered and purposeful leadership. Remember, conscious leadership is not just a destination. It's a continuous journey of growth and transformation. If you've enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe and share it with fellow leaders. Until next time, keep thriving, keep leading, keep growing. This is Dakota signing out. Thank you.